This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 12, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. In England, the DNA of three people has been combined to create a human embryo, but it could have implications for regulation on how humans might improve themselves and their children down the line. Sigrid Fry Revere, the Cato Institute's Director of Bioethics Studies, offers some perspective. I think it's wonderful that uh, the scientists in in England at uh, Newcastle University in northern England have been able to um, combine DNA from three different people to create one embryo. Um, Their objective is to uh, help uh, prevent certain genetic diseases. And I really can't see anything wrong with people helping each other by offering DNA to do so. Um, If you think of, you know, We offer our knowledge, we offer our work and our labor. Why not offer someone a little DNA to help them raise healthy children? Designer babies. What's what's preventing designer babies? And do you think that's okay? Well, actually, I think designer babies are just fine. Um, It's sort of a a scare term that people use. Uh, There's two things that are really interesting there. One... Designer babies have turned out to be like their parents. In other words, when people go to get IVF and they decide on what genetic traits the child's going to have, they sort of make it themselves plus a little. I mean, you don't have parents who are five feet tall taking the genes from someone who's seven feet tall, even if they would love their child to be a basketball player, because no one will believe it's their child. Or someone, you know, parents who are both, uh, you know, dark-skinned and dark-haired don't want a blonde, blue-eyed baby because no one will believe it's theirs. Then they might as well just adopt. Why would they bother designing the baby? Um, And instead of super children, the most controversial is really creating defects in children. Because you have dwarves selecting for dwarfism and deaf people selecting deafness in the embryos. So they're genetically engineering in what the rest of us might consider defects. So designer babies have turned out to be not some genetic uh, uh, eugenics. It's turned out to be individual choice, people making children generally like themselves. One of the three people who contributed DNA to the embryos only contributed mitochondrial DNA. That's right. But they are making the argument, at least in headlines, three people contributed to this embryo. Well, it is three people because to get the mitochondrial DNA, what you do is you take out the nucleus. And then the DNA that goes into the nucleus is then the two parents that are going to be the... Um, biological parents and the living parents or or custodial parents of the child. But the egg itself, the mitochondrial DNA, is very important because it's in every single one of our cells, and it will um, influence growth and development. So with diseases that they think depend on growth and development, like epilepsy or um, muscular dystrophy, The best way that they see at the moment for trying to prevent those is to take away what they see as potentially defective mitochondrial DNA from the mother and replace it with the mitochondrial DNA from another woman. 
So she's giving them this gift um, of microchondrial DNA in order to prevent the child from having a potentially horrible disease. You know, when watching these types of stories pop up in the news and seeing reaction that comes from uh, lawmakers and interest groups, where do you see the future of attempting to regulate this type of activity? Well, I'm really afraid that they are going to get involved in regulating it because as it gets more complicated, um, it becomes more susceptible to regulation because there are more hooks by which it could be regulated. For example, when you talk about IVF, it's a process that can be done in a private lab. And any medical process is not regulated by the FDA. But anytime you start um, injecting um, products or medicines or get involved in clinical trials for medicines, at that point, the FDA does get involved, and HHS and its protection of human subjects gets involved. And the reason that's relevant to what you're talking about with genetic testing and things like that is that when they do clinical trials on drugs, one of the really cool things they can do is they can take a developing embryo, just the very, very beginning stages, and they can um, inject certain medicines, for example, or certain drugs into that embryo and see how the cells react, see if it affects the cells. And they have already discovered that several, ironically enough, epilepsy drugs are dangerous for fetuses. And the way they tested it is obviously not on real fetuses and real women, but on stem cells. They discovered that when they put these drugs in the developing stem cell embryos, that, that it had affected their growth. And so that way they learned that it wasn't safe to use it on women without ever having to test it on women. Thinking back to President Bush before September 11th, the biggest issue on his plate was stem cells. Mm -hmm. And I can remember he made a speech at his Crawford ranch saying, okay, and then detailed this very convoluted manner in which he was going to push to allow some stem cell research to continue. Other stem cell research should not. The lines must already exist in order for those, that research to continue. Right, absolutely. And the most ironic thing about those existing lines is most of them are contaminated with mouse DNA because <laughs> they've been experimented on so many times and divided so many times in labs that they are really unpure. And, um, you know, for people who are f have fears of monster creatures and things like that developing in labs, we have these really limited and really, I guess, at this point, sloppy strains that um, Bush allowed to have research continue on. Um, but now, of course, we have that whole issue of trying to use skin cells and revert them back to stem cells. And it's really fascinating to think that they might be able to do that. But one of the issues is that any time you're dealing with such delicate and um, embryonic-type growth, each step you add to the process is a potential complication, is a potential for something going wrong. And scientists stay, say that we are many, many years away from getting the skin cell stem cells or, or the stem cells developed from skin cells to the same point at which we have when we retrieve an actual stem cell from an embryo. So in other words, they aren't as usable yet. There's still a lot of work to be done because, before they could reach that level. And I think another thing that people forget, I've mentioned that you can test drugs on embryonic stem cells, which is one of the big things they're doing. It's also the way to um, test uh, products and, and um, 
study embryos themselves, development in order to perhaps do embryonic surgery or embryonic medication in the womb. So in other words, to save little babies from dreadful fates, um, because you can test when they are still only, you know, a handful of cells, how those cells react, and thereby try to predict how they would react in a two-month-old fetus. And so people forget that, you know, people don't do stem cell research in order to create clones or monsters or, you know, animal-human hybrids. That's not the goal. The goal 99% of the time is to try to prevent disease. Sigrid Fry Revere is the Director of Bioethics Studies at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Cato Weekly Video is a regular segment from Cato Institute events available for download at cato.org.